Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 31. Numbers 31. In continuation of our study through the Old Testament, the Lord has us here in chapter 31. And what we see here in this chapter is a time to fight. A time to fight. Now, we know how the Lord took care of Egypt. God took care of Egypt. And and when I say he took care of Egypt in, in bringing Israel out of Egypt... And then wrath came to Egypt. Now, always understand that before a period of wrath, there is always grace and mercy. Always grace and mercy. Because you remember, you know, Moses went to uh, 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 Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. It could have been fine and dandy, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then boom, judgment. God hardened his heart. And also, don't forget, Egypt acknowledged the Lord with Joseph. Remember, the Lord was gracious and merciful to Egypt during the uh, 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 famine. But what happened is that generation, they forget the Lord. And then the next generation, they forget the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Lord was reserved to the history books. The fairy tales, the fables, that's what, the, that's what he was reserved to. And the Lord made himself known. And it's going to happen again in these last days. The Lord will make himself known. It's going to happen again. But never forget that as much as the Lord, he, he took care of Egypt. And then at the same time, he tells Israel, okay, now it's time for you to fight. You go fight the Canaanites. You go fight the Moabites. Just like we've been studying through the book of Numbers. The wilderness experience. A time to fight. Now, for us as Christians, we see the personification of these very attributes in our own walk with the Lord. I'm not talking about a physical fight. I'm talking about the spiritual fight. Just like we studied on Sunday in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To drown the mortal Choke out the mortal. What are those things represented in our lives, in your life and in my life? A type of Amalekite, a type of Canaanite, a type of Moabite. All of it. What is it that's represented in those things that can, that can uh, cause us to stumble, cause us to trespass and sidestep and cause us to sin and cause us to fall? What are those things? Remember, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. That's why Paul talks about uh, the preeminence of Jesus Christ to the Colossian church. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. Not that, you know, oh, I love Jesus Christ, but I also love whatever idol. No, it's Jesus Christ. All other idols are thrown in the trash. Jesus Christ. The uh, 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 sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the, all those things of the flesh that we that that Paul mentions in First First Corinthians chapter five, the works of the flesh. No, that's gone. These are things that we deny. These are things that we deny as we reckon the old man dead and we reckon the old woman dead. And then at the same time, we see the stand for the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament, we see the stand for the Lord. And among that class are the warriors. Old Testament and New Testament. You see Paul's entourage. Now, 
If you're at that, and that, I know that sounds kind of weird to say on, that Paul had an entourage. If you're listening for the first time, you have to listen to our study through First Corinthians and then Second Corinthians. Get yourself caught up, and then you'll understand what I mean when I say entourage. It's not entourage like the carnal sense. It's the inner circle. Not just the next generation of righteousness, which is beautiful. The next generation of righteousness is beautiful. But the next generation of warriors, the next generation of pastors, of elders, of deacons, of bishops, of all these ministries. And so we see, you know, just like we studied on, on Sunday, drown out the mortal. Drown out, choke out the mortal. Inside of me, inside of you. We do it for ourselves. Choke it out. Choke him out. Choke her out. Kill the Amalekite. Now, I'm speaking very supernaturally. Whatever is represented by the Amalekite, the Canaanite, the Moabite, whatever it is. And look what happens here in verse 1. And this is uh, Numbers chapter 31 in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Take Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Now, if you're listening and you're like, wait a second, I thought vengeance was the Lord's. The Bible says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Yes, vengeance is the Lord. But let me give you an example. Say, for example, you and me, we are members of a highly disciplined warrior class. Physically, like in a literal sense, highly disciplined warrior class. And somebody approaches us and says, hey, uh, what's your next campaign? Where are you going to? Is it us that determines that? Or is it our commanding officer? What is it that you guys are tasked to do? Is it us that dictates what that is? No, the commanding officer makes the calls the shots. He makes the decision. You see, so, you know, yes, vengeance is the Lord's. But then at the same time, who are his vessels that he's using? Now, this is Old Testament connotations here, Old Testament concepts, because the Lord uses Israel. And the Lord uses uh, others, too. I mean, he uses uh, the Babylonians, too. Remember when when Israel became very, very disobedient? And the Lord told Jeremiah, the prophet, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. I'm using him. He's my vessel to bring judgment to Israel, chastisement. Remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He chastises those whom he loves. So yes, vengeance is the Lord, but what are the vessels that he's using? Very Old Testament connotations here, but as New Covenant believers, what are the vessels that the Lord is using to prepare? To prepare and understanding that judgment is coming. Now, when I talk about preparation, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, having canned goods and all that stuff and having, you know, uh, uh, dry milk and dry goods. You know, some people do that. That's fine. I'm not going to argue with anybody that does that. But real preparation for the last days is storing oil, storing oil for our lamps. And so what do we see here? The Lord says here in verse 2, take vengeance on the Midianites, Midianites for the children of Israel. Now, why the Midianites? What did they do? What did the what was the crime? What was the what, what did they do? Now, we have to remember what we studied in chapter 
25. If we look at Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. You see? You say, wait a second, I thought it was the Midianites. Okay, look at verse 6. It's still in chapter 25, Numbers, and in verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, beautiful, beautiful Phinehas, Aaron's grandbaby. And when Phinehas saw it, he says in verse 7, he, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel and into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. You see, vengeance is the Lord and the vessel that the Lord used was Phinehas. And then Phinehas was blessed of the Lord for his stand. You see how beautiful this is? I'm not talking, I mean, we see these aspects of like, you know, this uh, 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 offensive posture. And in the Old Testament, we see a lot of uh, violence, a lot of violence in the physical sense. But let me ask you a question. You know, sometimes I talk to Christians, New Covenant believers, and they're like, oh, that's so violent. That's so violent. Yes, I understand that's violent. You have a problem with how I present this as, uh, yes, it is violent. But let me ask you a question. What is more violent? What is it that's more violent? Have you ever seen the aftermath of total destruction caused by Satan in a home? Little kids that don't have, you know, uh, that have, you know, a mom and dad that are divorced. Uh, the, the mom is on husband number three. The dad is on wife number five. Not even wife number, maybe wife number three, but then has girlfriend number 10. And then you have the kids, they don't know who to obey. And then they say, well, if my parents give up, I'm going to give up too. So the kids start doing their crack. The kids, you know, the daughter goes into prostitution. The son does all this other stuff. And you're telling me that's, you know, what I say is violent? Look at the violence that we see in homes. Look at the aftermath of violence and total, total destruction that we see in homes today. You see? Where's the violence? And then on top of that, where are the fighters? Where are the warriors for Christ? So you see, there was a great, great, great abomination committed in the camp of Israel. And then you have somebody, the likes of Phineas, son of the high priest Eleazar, who is also son of the high priest Aaron. And he makes his stand for righteousness. And what does he do? He takes his javelin and thrusts it through the man and the woman. A fighter. That's what I'm talking about as Christians. As new covenant believers, who among us will pick up his javelin? Who among us will pick up her javelin and kill, kill those things represented 
within ourselves, within myself, within yourself. Kill those things. Do away with it. Kill it. You know, sometimes, you know, you talk to guys, talk with men. And men, oh, I have a problem with pornography. Okay, okay. Tell your wife. Let's, let's go tell your wife about it. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Said, Kill the amount. Kill. Take your javelin and stick it through the computer. You see? Crazy. Where are the warriors? Where are the warriors? I don't know any wife that has any. Oh, my computer's $5,000. I got a, a nice setup. I got this, all this, you know, fancy stuff. And it's all worth $6,000, $7,000. Even still, I don't know any wife who has any problem whatsoever taking a javelin through that computer. I don't know any wife. I know a lot of men that won't do it. But I don't know any wife. Eh, maybe a couple wives. But we're not close. <laughs> you see, where are the warriors? And so we get pick up in 31, Numbers 31. And still in verse 2. Afterward, remember, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. Remember, the Lord is speaking to Moses here. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. Remember, a couple chapters ago, we see Moses is going to die in the wilderness. All of that first generation must die except for two, Joshua and Caleb. The rest die. But then we look at Joshua and Caleb and, you know, they weren't defiled. They weren't defiled. They made their stands for righteousness. And in so doing, the Lord says, okay, of these two, they can pass on with the next generation. But Moses will die. The first generation must die in the wilderness. And I love this so much because what about our own walks? Our first generation in accordance to Adam, we're born again in Christ. And that's the generation that passes to the promised land. And I speak of paradise for you and for me. Paradise, passing through. Passing on to the uh, paradise. This is like the last battle for Moses. The last battle for Moses. I love this so much. I love this so much. It's so beautiful. It's like, wow, the, the last battle for Moses. And so we see here in verse 3. So Moses spoke to the people saying, arm some of yourselves for war. Very interesting what we see here. Arm some of yourselves for war. Now, this is masculine. Arm some. This is very masculine. The masculine sense. Male-centric. The men. And how it translates is the of, the of the masculine sense. Valor. A champion. And great. And Moses says to the people, okay, arm some of yourselves for war. Not everybody. Not everybody. A portion. Now, remember what just happened. Remember what just happened. Remember Balaam and Balak? We studied that for several chapters. You have Balaam and Balak, and then all of a sudden, Balak, he was wondering, you know, how am I going to defeat Israel? Do I get my mightiest of warriors? Do I form a cohort with these other tribes? And we, we take our mightiest of warriors and send them down to the camp of Israel. How are we going to defeat them? And then through the counsel of Balaam, it was revealed to Balak, okay, we have to get these people to deny the Lord. We have to get these people to reject 
their God. So what does Balaam do? Or what does Balak do through the council of Balaam? He doesn't send the mighty warriors, the big guys, the tough guys to kill Israel. He doesn't do that. He sends women. He sends women. You see? That's how he got Israel to fall to stumble. He sent the women and the men were defiled. The men were defiled except the remnant men. Picture this where like, you know, the camp of Israel. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of women come through. What, how do you think the men are going to respond when a bunch of women are walking through? How do you think the men are going to respond? And I say this very carnally. But we have an idea what the carnal mindset does. Some of us are, have history with the carnal mindset. And some of us wrestle with the carnal mindset. But we reckon that old man dead. We reckon that old woman dead. But picture, nonetheless, the women, the Moabite women with all kinds of different tribes, a cohort from all these, including the Midianites. And then all these women coming down the mountain and then all of a sudden entering the camp of Israel. And you have, you know, just like we studied in chapter... 25, I don't want to get graphic or anything. We studied this already, but there was, you know, when the, uh, in chapter 25, verse one, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab or whoredom with the women of Moab. And we looked at the word, uh, 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 chashab, chashab, which is to interpenetrate, which has the physical connotation. And then also the spiritual, we studied that at great length in chapter 25. I'm not going to relive it, but that's what happened. The men with the women. Sexual intercourse. Interpenetration sexually. And the fruit of that, the bad fruit of that, was spiritually. Because these same men, they bowed down to Baal. Instead of bowing down to the Lord, they bowed down to Baal. You see? And yes, yes, judgment came to the camp of Israel. A lot of men were compromised. A lot of men paid the penalty of their fall. But what about the men who didn't? What about those beautiful, 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 wonderful, wonderful men who did not, even when they're friends, hey, you know, check her out. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go talk to her and we're going to go in the tent and we're going to do whatever. But then picture the beautiful, beautiful man pleading. Don't do that. Don't do that. She's bad news. Don't do that. And then when the guy makes their choice, this beautiful man says, nope, I'm not doing that. They just make a purpose in their heart. Nope, I'm not doing that. What about these beautiful, beautiful men? I mean, chapter 25, we looked at, oh man, look at this fall of Israel, which is terrible. I'm not glossing over that. But don't forget, with this group of men that makes this choice to interpenetrate with these women, what about the select few that says, nope, I'm not doing that? You see, 
Today, people have this mindset, oh, men will be men. Even in the church, it's, it's entered the church where sexual sin abounds. Oh, men will be men. Pastors say it. Men will be men. Pastors' wives say it. Men will be men. But you know what? Godly men will be godly men. You have to make these distinctions. You know, people come up with excuses for their own carnality. Oh, men will be men. But godly men will be godly men. And godly women will be godly women. You have to make this distinction. Whenever somebody tells you, that, oh, yeah, men will be men. Say it. Not godly men. I've had these conversations with people before. Oh, yeah, you know, there's this, you know, pornography is on the rise in the church and people come up with these excuses. Oh, men will be men. Not godly men. You see? Oh, women will be women. Not godly women. You see? Make this distinction between the ways of Adam and the ways of Christ. First generation and second generation. And so now we look at verse 3. When Moses spoke to the people saying, arm some of yourselves for war, which is the masculine sense, the men, men of valor, the champions, and those who are they're great. The men who didn't succumb to the women, the Moabite women, these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men. The women come. Other guys are, you know, oh, yeah, let's go into this tent. Let's go into this tent. Everybody there, you know, having a good old time, so to speak. Maybe the female comes and says, hey, come on, let's go. And the guy's like, nope, let go of me, you hussy. Get your hands off me, you freak. These beautiful, beautiful men. And now look. Arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. You see? The defunct, you stay home. The, now, the defunct were judged. They were judged. Some of them died. But of the ones that lived by God's mercy, you guys stay home. You were defiled. You caused this defilement upon Israel, upon the camp. You stay home. You stay in your tent. The defunct stay home. You see? Compromised, stay home. Of this class, of the defunct, of the compromised, you guys stay home. Me personally, I wouldn't want to go to war with these guys. No, you stay home. I would want to go to battle with these guys. You see, we have to make these distinctions. We have to make these distinctions. Just like, just like in the church. Look at the church. Look at the Christian men and the Christian women. Now, let me ask you a question. Who do you want to go to war with? You see? Say you have, line up three pastors. One pastor teaches truth. The other pastor thinks he teaches truth, but he's also on wife number three. 
His life doesn't exude truth. He's on wife number three. The other pastor is, you know, he teaches topically from the Bible. And then uh, he, 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 he's on, you know, still on wife number one, but he has girlfriend number five. Throw in another pastor. And yeah, he teaches topically, but then all of a sudden he also does his crack. He also does his sex. He also does his alcohol, y'all. Now, let me ask you a question. Who do you want to go to war with? Spiritually speaking, who do you, who do you want to go to battle with? You have to make these distinctions. The defunct stay home. The defunct stay home. You're the field. You're in the field. You're, you're in the building. You have to be built up. Now, when I say defunct, I don't mean like defunct. Well, there's the defunct of like, there's this. We looked at the defunct class in Corinth, the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. And look at what their leadership caused to happen in Corinth. Rather than pretend you're a worker, get back in the field. Because you need to learn. You need to grow. You need to mature. You're a baby yourself. You see what I'm talking about? To make these distinctions? From my own personal walk, if the Lord didn't call me to this particular ministry, there are like four pastors, maybe five pastors, that I would love to align myself with. But in actuality of that five, there's really like two, maybe just one where it's like, okay, when, when things go south, when things go crazy, it's like one or two. It's a smaller few. I want to I go to war with this guy. You see, who do you want to go to war with? Now, I don't mean to sound carnal or anything, but say, for example, we're in an elite military unit, special operations, qualified, everything, and we're ready to go to, on deployment. We're about ready to de- deploy to a hot zone for any task. You know, we're, we're on deployment for whatever task, but it's very violent. It's very dangerous. And we're ready for it. We're trained up for it. Now, in that environment, even still, the defunct stay home. The defunct are weeded out. Weeded out. Might be big and strong, but other attributes don't fit. So you're gone. Go do another job. But you're out of this team. You're you're, you're not in this squad. You're not in this platoon. You don't go on deployment because you're a liability. Now, for normal people, like the civilian class, they might look at a group of guys and be like, wow, look, you know, these guys are tough. These guys are fighters. But of the warrior class, nope. The warriors, no. This guy's a piece of work. He's not one of us. He doesn't deploy. He's non-deployable. No victor code. You see? But the same thing applies in the church. 
the defunct class. Look at the defunct pastors. How many times did you hear us mentioned through our study in Corinth, the first Corinthians, the defunct pastors and the defunct elders for such a time as this to identify the defunct class in the camp of Israel. You guys stay home. The defunct class. You're the reason for this defilement. You stay home. But these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men who were of the minority. Picture the flack they got. Oh, you know, look, look at all these women and look, you know, we can go into our tent, do this. You're so stupid. You don't want to do this. You're so stupid. Get out of here. You're so dumb. Look, all the cool guys are doing this. Look, look how awesome we are. You're so stupid, you fool. And these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful godly men. No, as for me and my house, as for me and my tent, we shall serve the Lord. Judgment came. Some people died. Many died. The plague came. Phineas stopped it. Beautiful, beautiful Phineas. He stopped it. Now it's time to fight again to, like verse 2 says, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Who do we call? Who do we call? Hey, defunct class, defunct men, stay home. Stay home. You're defunct. You think you're a warrior, but you're not a warrior. You see? Just like verse 3 says, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. These beautiful, beautiful, godly men. Now, you you might hear me say these things and be like, well, wait a second. You don't want to, don't shame these guys. They just had a little fall. You don't want to shame them. What are you talking about? I've had these conversations with people. Is not there that what they've done, is that not shameful? They shame themselves. You're telling me, hey, don't shame them, don't shame them. What are you talking? They have shamed themselves and they have shamed the name of the Lord. They have shamed the witness of Christ. That's what I don't get. I mean, I get it. It's very carnal. I understand it. But even with this understanding, the disconnect is our own carnality. Because you look at a pastor, a youth leader, who has sex with one of the kids. Sexual, sexual relations with one of the kids. Disgusting, disgusting, disgusting. The guy should be thrown in prison. And then let's see what happens in prison. And oh... Don't shame the guy. Don't shame the Christians. Don't shame the guy. Don't shame the guy. You know, oh, let's pray for him. Okay, look. Prayer in all things. Prayerfully make our prayers and supplications known in all things. The good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, it's beautiful. But this very act. He's the one who brought the shame. He's the one who shames himself. He's the one who shames the name of Jesus Christ. You see? It's so wild the days that we live in. 
People call good evil and evil good. There's a heavy, heavy price to pay. The defunct pastors, the defunct elders, a very, very heavy price to pay, just as we saw in Corinth, a very heavy price to pay. Just like Paul says, hey, take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Take these other people and their leaven. Don't even eat with such a person. The fact that it had to get to that point. The defunct stay home. You might think you're a warrior, but you're not a warrior. The warrior is Chloe and those in her household. The warrior is Paul and his entourage. That's the warrior class. And look what happens here in verse 4. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. You see? A time to fight. Whoa. Now, a thousand from each tribe. So remember, in chapter 26, verse 51, uh, the the second census, what do we see? We see 601,730. Do you see what I'm talking about now? Of this 601,000, I'll round it up and say 602. Of this 602, 12,000. 1,000 from every tribe. 12,000. Now, that equates to about 1.99%. A small minority. That equation is somewhat flawed because if we remove from the 600,000 or the 602,000, if we remove from that the women, the children, and the defunct men, and we say of that group, 12,000, Maybe you can get as high as 10%, 15%, but even still, whether it be 1.99% up to 15%, it's still a remnant. It's still a small, minute group of men. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful warriors, real warriors. Men of valor. As an example for the rest of the 600,000. Just like Paul, just like Timothy, just like Barnabas, just like Peter, just like Chloe, just like Phoebe. You see? Because remember, in Christ, there's no male, female. That's what I'm talking about. Like verse 4 says, a thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. The fighters. Out of 600,000, I meant like if we were like military commanders, strategically thinking, human, applying human strategy, it's foolishness. Of this 600,000, we only have 12, 12,000. About 12,000. I say about 12,000 because we're going to add another here shortly. But militarily speaking, carnally speaking, it's foolishness. Why not take, you know, have of the 600,000, why not have at least 50,000, maybe 100,000? But no, we're not talking carnally, we're talking spiritually. 
who are the ones who love the Lord, who fear the Lord and want to honor him. And, you know, remember several chapters ago, Balak sends the women down to the camp of Israel. Think of all the men who compromised themselves. Think of all the men who brought shame upon themselves, shame upon their families, shame upon their tents, shame upon the name of the Lord. Think about all those men. And yes, there was judgment that came into the camp that was prevented by Phineas, beautiful Phineas. And yes, shameful. But then flip the other side, the other side of the token, and you see beautiful, beautiful men, men of valor, honorable men, men of greatness, maybe despised by the majority, but beautiful men of valor, of greatness, who say, no, I'm not, I'm not messing with that stuff. The ladies come, grab their arm. Hey, come on, let's go to this tent. You know, hey, let go of me, you freak. Beautiful, beautiful men. And now, they're the fighters. They're the warriors. That's who the Lord is enlisting for this fight. Those men, the warriors. Not the defunct. Defunct, you guys stay home. You guys stay in your tent. You see? Now, when war happens and the warriors go out, you know who stays in the camp? The women, the children, and the defunct. Think how shameful that is for those men. You know, say you're female and you're like, you know, you're having a, a gay old time with your female. I say gay old time in the old old fashioned sense, but you know, you're, you know, Getting dinner ready, all these things, taking care of the kids. You know that the warriors are out fighting battles and everything's fine because you know you have confidence that, you know, the Lord is with them. And, you know, you're praying for them, too. I don't want to make it sound like you're just, you know, having a party, but I meant like everything's fine. And then you walk around at one tent and you see a group of guys there. You know how shameful that is? Not for you, for the guys. You know how shameful that is? Hey, guys. How come you're not warriors? How come you're not with the fighters? You see? You see how shameful that is for them? Because it's identified. It is made publicly aware that these guys are not the warrior class. They're at home in the camp. The fighters, the warriors, they're doing business. They're handling business. You see, 100% obedient to the Lord. Even, even when the majority says, hey, come on, let's go be with these ladies of the, 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 the ones who Balak sent down. Look, she likes you, you know, go hang out there. Nope, get your hands off me, you hussy. You see, those are the warriors. Those are the fighters. And so we continue here in verse 5. <clears throat> And verse five, so there were recruited or translates as set apart and through division, you see, <laughs> just like we see in Corinth, we see the same thing when Paul says, hey, this is leaven separate from these, this division. How many times do you hear 
mention division. When the Lord himself says, do you think that I, do you suppose I came to bring peace? He says, no, I came to divide. You see? But in this division, there's a purpose behind it. Refine, who are the warriors? So they were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. You see, not the average Joe, not the average Joe. The average Joe stay in your tent. The defunct Joe stay in your tent. It's a call to arms, but of the real warriors, the men of valor. And so you see, you, you, you hear us say uh, approximately 12,000 or about 12,000. Well, the Bible says 12,000. When I say approximately 12,000, because look at verse 6. Then Moses sent them to the war. 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phineas. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful Phineas. Son of Eleazar. Grandson of Aaron, the high priest. You see? The influence of a beautiful dad, the influence of a beautiful grandpa on little Phineas. As, imagine Phineas as a little boy. What he learned from his dad, what he learned from his grandpa, what he learned from Uncle Moses. Think of that influence on Phineas. And now Phineas, remember his javelin from chapter 25? This javelin, he made a stand for righteousness and he stopped the plague of the Lord in the camp of Israel when judgment came to the camp because of the fall, because they were worshiping Baal. And now Phineas is leader of the warrior class. You see? How? This just blows me away. How beautiful this is. He sent them to the war with Phineas, the, the son of Eleazar, the priest. Remember Aaron's grandson? Now, also understand, you know, don't forget that it was Phineas who prevented God's wrath. And in the course of time, now he's in a leadership role. Picture little Phineas at age five. Age 10, 15, 20, all these little benchmarks in life, influencers in his life for such a time as this. You see, these 12,000 beautiful men and Phineas, 12,000 and one, you see. And so look what we see here. He's the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. Now, we're new covenant believers, new covenant believers. Now, the weapons of warfare for us are not of this world. They are supernatural. But don't forget our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Turn there really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this is what we see in 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 8, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. You see? Now this is a passage that we studied about the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But this likeness of the, in verse 8, the trumpet makes an uncertain sound. Who will prepare for battle? Who is it 
Who is it that speaks and teaches the words of the Lord through Holy Scripture, through Holy Writ? The good, the bad, the ugly. Who is it? Such people are like Phineas. An Old Testament example of a Paul, of a Timothy, of a Titus. So as much as you hear us focus on the next generation of righteousness, yes, that is beautiful. But what about the next generation of leadership? You see? The next generation of pastors, of elders. We can't lose sight of these things. So let's go back to our study through the Old Testament, Numbers 31. Verse 7, and they warred against the Midianites. 12,001. 12,001. Militarily speaking, in a carnal sense, it's foolishness. But as New Covenant believers, we also know that the Lord chooses the foolish things and the base things of the world to shame the wise. You see? To shame the mighty. Old Testament, New Testament. The Lord never changes. We see him doing it here. (laughs) In verse 7, they warred against the Midianites. 12,001. Just as the Lord commanded Moses and they killed all the males. You see? These warriors of God, very effective in battle. Very effective in battle. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Now, this is the cohort of these Midianites. Evi, Rechem, Zur. Zur is the one whose daughter was uh, stabbed through the jab- by the javelin by Phineas. The, the javelin with the other guy. That's the, uh, that, uh, the, the Zur is her dad. Zur, Hur. And Reba, the five kings of Midian. Now, these are so-called men of nobility. The five kings of Midian. Balaam. What? Balaam? Balaam. Hobnobbing with the nobles. Hobnobbing with nobility. Balaam. What in the world is Balaam doing there? What in the world is Balaam doing with this cohort of the Midianites? Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, Ariba, the five kings of Midian, and then Balaam? Remember, Balaam, in our study several chapters ago, he had intimacy with God. He prophesied in his name. Just like we studied on Wednesday, Lord, we did these things in your name. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Balaam here is an example of a short-term believer and also one who doesn't apply the word of God in his life. You see, knowing the Bible is one thing. Living the Bible, that's entirely different. You see? Bad company corrupts good character. Balaam here, his bad company was Avi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, Reba, the five kings of Midian. An Old Testament example of a short-term believer. 
And since bad company corrupts good character, his corruption was so bad that it cost him his life. Balaam, a former prophet. Remember, he prophesied of the Lord. Very short term. Very, very short term. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. You see, what in the world was he doing among the enemies of Israel? He did not finish well. Yes, he was a soothsayer. But don't forget that God engages everyone. God engages everyone. I don't care if you're, you know, drugs, sex, alcohol, soothsaying, the occult, I don't care. I have a message for you. Come out of her, my people. Repent and be born again. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. And if that's you, if you're listening, you're not a believer and you're like, whoa, what, what is happening here? And you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Hit pause and then listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you repent and you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then you come back. People get mad at me all the time. Oh, that's easy believism, easy believism. What's so hard about believing? It's all oh, that's easy believism. So you, now you have to say this catechism. You have to memorize all these things. Which we can go through the catechism. It's not even biblical. Protestant catechism. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We studied that in Romans. What's so? Where do you, where do you, the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch. When he tell, talk, tells Philip, you know, what's preventing me from being baptized? Philip says, well, if you believe with all your heart and all your soul, you know, let's handle business. The Ethiopian jumps off. They go under the water, baptized. You don't hear Philip say, okay, you, memorize this first. Memorize these, memorize the, here's the catechism, Ethiopian. Here's the catechism, memorize this, and then you can become a believer. No, he doesn't do that. But we do it today. Why is it? Why is it that the catechism is so popular today? You know why? Because you have scaredy cat pastors. Scaredy cat pastors, that's why. I've had pastors tell me, how come you don't have church membership? How come you don't have church memberships? Why, why would I? Why would I? Well, don't you want to know who you invest into, who you invest time into? Those who are committed to stay in your fellowship? That's not my call, pastor. That's not my call. And you know what's so cool? When you teach truth, when truth goes forth, the Lord establishes membership. You see, people will leave, people will stay. People will come, people will go. But even still, the remnant is being refined as through fire. Let the Lord establish your membership. If you're a pastor, you're listening, let the Lord establish your membership. You have these, you know, sign-up sheets, okay? You gotta, you know, uh, put your social security number on. You know, I gotta do that. I'm a member, I officially, and I agree too. This is like a, a legal document to go to church. Stupid. If you're a pastor, don't do that. Let the Lord establish your, your membership. People will hate you. 
You don't want the love of people. You want their love to be directed to the Lord. It's very low. You say, oh, that, that means I'm going to be lonely for the rest of my life. Join the club. Welcome to the party. You see? You teach truth. And the Lord takes care of the rest. Balaam, what in the world is Balaam doing here? And then we remember our study through, you remember he, his love of money. Jude chapter 1, verse 11. You see, compromised. What was his little desire? He liked the riches. He liked to hobnob with these kings, these, you know, the, uh, the five kings of Midian. He liked to hobnob with Evi, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, Reba. He liked to hobnob with these people. And in that, in that uh, cohort, he was corrupted. And in his corruption, he died. By the 12,001 godly men. You see? Warriors of the Lord. Warriors of the Lord. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones. And took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with, the fi with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts. So remember, this is a time of war. A time of war, one of many purposes under heaven. And I'm referencing Ecclesiastes. A time for peace, a time for war. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. Now, a, a booty here is like, you know, of the, the captives, people and stuff of war, the booty. You hear like, you know, like if you read like uh, pirate books, you know, they talk about, you know, the the the, 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 the booty, you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, the, all the stuff of you know, of war, you know, what they take and like the, the spoils of war. And that's what these 12,001 men do. But then look what happens in verse 12. Then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar, the priest, Phineas' dad, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from the Jericho. I love this. Every time, you know, we're going to hear this references quite, quite a bit across from the Jericho, across from the Jericho. But one day, one day, which we're going to get to soon, they will enter Jericho. They will enter Jericho. It's so beautiful. Jericho translates as a place of fragrance and understanding. And the second generation, they're going to pass and enter Jericho and then enter the promised land. We're going to study it. It's going to be so beautiful. But here, it's always across from Jericho, across from Jericho, because they're not there yet. In verse 13, and Moses, Eleazar, the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry. Moses was angry. You see, what's happening now? What's happening now? The spoils of war, the spoils of war in verse 14. But Moses was angry, translates as he burst in outrage with the officers' leadership. The officers, those in leadership role. The officers of the army with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds who had come from battle. So now you see the leadership. They have responsibilities. They have responsibilities and Moses is angry. He's bursting out in outrage. 
What did they do? What did they do? In verse 15, and Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Whoa, Moses, where are you going with this? Moses, where are you going with this? Are are we to kill these women? Have you kept all the women alive? Now, remember what these women just did. Remember what these women just did. You hear me talked about the, 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 the defunct class of men? The defunct, you stay home. Defunct, you stay in your tent of the remaining, the ones who weren't judged. But what about the women who caused these men to fall? What about the women who caused these men to, to, these men to bow the knee to Baal? And Moses, have you kept these women alive? Let's go to chapter 25 really quick. Numbers 25. Numbers 25. We're just going to read a couple verses again. In verse 1, Numbers 25, verse 1. Now Israel remained in, in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry, whoredom, with the women of Moab. So, they, 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 already, they already fell. The men. They're already committing harlotry, these men. They're already chashab, which is to interpenetrate physically and then spiritually. This interpenetration, it's already happened. Then, these women... They invite the people to sacrifice to the sacrifices of their gods. An invitation to commit idolatry. So this invitation is given, is sent forth, and the people they ate and bowed down to their gods. You see. That's some invitation. These women, number one, they do the sex. Number two, they they in, after the sex they say okay now let's 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 sacrifice to uh, these gods number 3 the people follow them the people said okay yeah let's 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 eat and bow down to your gods never ever ever forget satan is a fisherman too the lord desires the lord calls us to be fishers of men Fishers of women, young, old, it doesn't matter. Fishers, fishermen, fisherwomen. But we cannot be stupid. We have to be wise. We're called to be fishers. We're not called to be stupid. Satan is a fisherman too. Just like we see here with these women. The women of Moab. You see? That's quite the invitation. They do the sex, the sex is done, and it's like, okay, now let's sacrifice to these gods. And what do the people say? Okay, let's go sacrifice to these gods. Oh, and by the way, let's let's eat and let's bow down to these gods. Okay. They got the sex. Okay, let's bow down to these gods now. Now, we're called as Christians, we're called to live peaceably. As much as depends on us, we're called to live peaceably with all men. Emphasis on this, don't be stupid. 
Oh, I just want to have peace with this lady. I just want to have peace with this guy. A week later, they're having sex. You see? And they use the Bible to excuse their sin. Oh, I, I just wanted to minister to this drug dealer. I just wanted to minister to this, uh, the, the, my, my friend, he's on meth. And I just wanted to minister to him. A week later, a month later, he's on meth. They're both on meth. Oh, I just wanted to minister to this lady. You know, God loves her. Surely God loves her. A month later, he's left his wife and he's with this lady. You see what I'm talking about? Never, ever, ever, ever forget that Satan is a fisherman too. And then in verse 3, Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. Remember, joined self, it's self-inflicted, it's self-inflicted. And the anger of the, of the Lord was aroused against Israel. I don't mean to say like, you know, rightfully so of the Lord. I mean, I'm the clay, I'm not the potter, but... As we study the Old Testament and New Testament, you understand the character of the Lord. What do you expect the Lord to do? What do, what do you, you expect him to be fine with it? Do you expect him to, to be fine? Oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. You know, I love you. I've done all these things for you. And you, know, you want to worship Baal? Oh, no big deal. It's okay. Go ahead. Take advantage of God's grace, Old Testament and New Testament. Don't take advantage of his grace. Don't take advantage of his mercy. You see, I'm not advocating the law, but the Lord never changes. I advocate the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. And in him we stand. But even still, don't forget. Satan is a fisherman too. We cast our, our lines. We have lures in the world. To bring people to Christ. But all around us, there's lures of Satan. Don't bite. Don't take the bait. Yes, we're called to be loving. We're called to be peace, live peaceably with men. But nowhere does the Bible say you're called to be stupid. You see? Now let's go back to Numbers 31. Moses, in verse 14, he's angry. Moses, what do we do? What do we do? Verse 15, have you kept all the women alive? Look at what they thought. I mean, yeah, the, the sex was bad. I mean, the, 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 look what they, they caused this. The chashab, the interpenetration. That's bad. But what's worse? All of a sudden, now they're Look what happened to the people. Bowing down to Baal. How did this happen? He said, oh, you're, you're going too far. You're too hardcore. Am I really? Am I really? I can't tell you how many times Christian men, Christian men, they're raised in the church. They grew up in the church, meaning they know. And all of a sudden, they get a girlfriend who's Catholic. They get a girlfriend who's Catholic. What are you doing? What are you doing? And then in the course of time, they get married. They have kids. They raise their kids not in the Lord. They raise their kids under Rome. 
under Roman Catholic doctrine. Baptized into the ways of Rome. Under the Queen of Heaven. You see, is it a small thing? Is it a small thing? It's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. So as we're fishers of men and fishers of women, understand that there's lures all around you. And that lure is satanic. Satan wants to pull you away in whatever way, shape, or form he can do it. He wants to do it. And he does do it. And he's very effective. Very dangerous environment. But to be in a dangerous environment, you know what you have to be? You know what we have to be? Dangerous ourselves. Remember the demon with the sons of Siva? Sons of Siva? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who in the world are you guys? You see? They weren't a threat. They weren't dangerous. Paul was. Jesus certainly was. But Jesus inside of Paul, Paul was too. Moses is angry. Now, the people were the... So of, the, of, the, of these beautiful men, these 12,001... These beautiful, beautiful men, they didn't take the bait before in chapter 25. Of this class of beautiful, beautiful warrior men, Moses, he calls out their leaders, their officers. He calls out leadership. Yes, these beautiful men. Okay, let's, let's have another division. So we have a division among the division, which is among the 600,000, you have 12,000. So you have a, a, a major division. But of this division, you now have another division, which is the leadership of this 12,001. Hey, guys, come here. I want to talk to you. I don't know how many there were. Maybe there were 12. Maybe there, you know, one for, I mean, if there's one for every several hundred, one for every thousand, you might have 15, 20, 24, 30 guys out of the 12,000. But it's a small, smaller group, maybe 50 he takes the leadership. What's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you guys? Have you kept all the women alive? You see? So we have the defunct class, which is, okay, the defunct class, stay in your tent. Don't go to war. Of that class, you have a subclass, which is leadership. How many times do you hear us say all the time, I don't. Blame the pews, I blame the pulpits. You see, pastors, elders, youth leaders, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to the Lord. That's why Brother, uh, 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 Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers because we're held to a very, very strict account. Now, you read that, you hear us say it, but don't let that scare you. I mean, let it scare you, but don't let it scare you to the point of inaction. If the Lord is calling you to be a teacher, then you teach. You see, if the Lord is calling you to be a teacher, then you teach. Now, something else is like, okay, so you look at the responsibility of the leadership. 
And Moses, have you kept all the women alive? Remember what they just did? The lures. They got the sex, the women. They got the sex. That was the lure. I mean, they might have been the lure, but then the, the aftermath of that, they got the sex. Now that they got the sex, okay, let's, let's go make these sacrifices. Okay, let's, they do this. They got that too. Now, let's bow the knee to Baal. You see, it's not like it's it's a process. It's a process. In verse 16, this is what Moses, he's speaking to the leadership. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord. In the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord, you see. And Moses is telling these, the leadership, the subclass of a subclass, also of a subclass. Remember, this is the second, we're in the, 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 the era of the second census. People are already dying. Aaron is already dead. So it's like a subclass of a subclass of a subclass of a subclass. And he's speaking to the leadership. Defunct, stay home. Defunct, you're in your tents. 12,001, beautiful, beautiful men. Okay, of this 12,001, let's shave off maybe 50. We'll say 50. And then Moses is calling them, <laughs> calling them on their error. Did you forget? Did you forget? Let me, you know what's interesting? Things of temptation. Whatever way, shape, or form it comes in, but things of temptation tend to stir forgetfulness. Things of temptation forget to stir forgetfulness. A guy caught in sexual sin. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Did you really not know? You knew. A guy with a needle in his arm. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. I forgot. I forgot. You see, a guy with the, you know, with his face in the toilet vomiting because he's drunk out of his mind. Oh, I forgot. I didn't know. I didn't know. Doing their little white lies on their tax forms. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Now the IRS is knocking on the door. You see, you have to give an account now. People are more afraid of the IRS knocking on the door than Jesus Christ knocking on the door. It should be the other way around. Things of temptation tend to stir forgetfulness. Never forget that. And in so doing, don't be stupid. You and We're in the same boat, you and me. We're in the same boat. I don't say this to you. I say this for us. Remember, Moses is speaking... Not just to a remnant of a remnant, but the subclass is the leadership. Pay attention, pastors, elders. Now, therefore, in verse 17, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately or sexual intercourse. Now, verse 17 is hardcore. Moses is saying kill everybody. I mean, not kill everybody, but every male among the little ones and every woman who has known a man intimately. Now, we could look at this from one regard and say, well, this is symbolic, but there's no symbolism here. It's just a flat out call. Hey, kill them. If they fit this category, kill them. Now, 
what we see happen here, and a lot of times, I don't like to throw out culture. Because for the Christian church culture, that's that's the church. It's you know the Lord never changes, so why should church culture change? I mean, just like we said a couple weeks ago, it, you know, we we should be able to go back in time into a time machine, sit in the fellowship in Chloe's house, and feel right at home, right at home. Now we're gonna have a wonderful, wonderful time and a lot of laughs because they're gonna think we dress like freaks. We're gonna think they dress like freaks, and we're gonna but we're gonna have our laughs. We're gonna have probably good food, you know, uh, non non GMO food, you know, not no chemically modified whatever. We're gonna have real food, have a nice meal. They're gonna laugh at our shoes, you know, glasses. What are these? You know, all these things, you know. Phones in our pockets, but they don't work because there's no cell phone towers. They're going to laugh. We're going to have like a, a wonderful, wonderful time of fellowship. But we should fit perfectly because culturally speaking, church culture, since the Lord never changes, then church culture never changes. People make these, oh, you know, that for Geneva, they try to say that, you know, John Calvin, you know, that was culturally Killing Christians, killing the apostate, you know, that that was, you know, killing Severus. That was culture. That was just culture. The Anabaptists, oh yeah, that's just culture. But you don't see, okay, let's look at church culture. Let's read the Bible. Where do you see, oh, you know, kill kill this person, kill this person. No, you, you might see, you know, commit a guy to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. This is leaven, you know, don't even eat with such a person. But you never see, hey... Kill this guy, chop off his head, chop off his arms. But yet, that's what happened in Geneva. Under John Calvin, with his Institutes of the Christian Religion, which are unbiblical. Unbiblical. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, listen to our study through Romans chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. All those chapters, and you'll understand more about biblical predestination. This is hardcore. Moses is flat out saying, kill them. Kill them. These are generations that will be future problems for Israel. Future problems. What happens, you know, we live in such a culture that we forget about, well, we forget, but we don't even know about honor. We don't even know about this concept of avenging, but back in these days, if a family was killed and there was a surviving male, his duty was to avenge his family and come back. And in avenging his family, come back as a threat against whoever. That was, I don't want to say cultural, but that, I mean, it, I don't have any, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. It was a cultural thing. And that's what happened in these days. Tribe tribes would go against tribe. I mean, outside of Israel, but I mean, even inside of Israel, we're going to see a lot of different factions, breakups, and fighting, infighting, but not yet. But when I say tribes, peoples, Moabites, Canaanites, Hivites, Hittites, if any survivors would be future problems, and so hey, kill them, kill them. Now, that's, this is, we're in Old Testament. I mean, 
Samuel says the same thing. When Saul left the Amalekite king alive. And so Samuel, he says, okay, I'll do it. And he killed the Amalekite king. When the Lord says, kill the Amalekites. Moses, he's angry with leadership. Have you kept, kept all the women alive? In verse 17, kill every male among the little ones. Kill every woman who has known a man intimately. Now, this is Old Testament. As new covenant believers, as new covenant believers, how serious do we, you and me, how serious do we take threats upon our walk with the Lord? How serious do we take threats? Oh yeah, it's just just a little pornography. No big deal. Men will be men. Oh yeah, it's just a little crack pipe. No big deal. It's just a little flask I have of whiskey, you know? No big deal. Oh yeah, I, I just like to say little white lies. No big deal. Cheat on my taxes. No big, you know, I get an extra $10,000 from the government. I'll give, you know, 10% to the Lord. You know, it's, it's Christian. It's the Christian thing to do. So I do my Ouija boards. Yeah, no big deal. I'll do my little white magic. I don't do black magic. Oh no, that's, that's bad. But I'll do my white magic. No big deal. Kill it. I don't care how innocent you think it is. Oh, it's just in its infancy. No big deal. Kill it. Slay it. Choke it out. Don't choke it out like, you know, if you're training, you know, you might choke a guy out, but it's for training. You know, you let him live. But you train for war. And in a combat situation, it's not like, you know, in the movies, you're going to fight. No, you quickly kill. Like in the movies, you know, the fight here, fight there. No, in real life, you have to kill quickly. Kill the Amalekite. Kill whatever threat it is in your life, in your mind, in your heart. Whatever it is that poses a threat to your walk with Christ, kill it. Oh, but I'm tempted over here. I'm tempted over there. Okay, look for the door. We're told. We've studied this already. We know. Look for the door. The Lord always makes a way of escape. Oh, but I'm being tempted over here. I'm being, Okay, get in your car and go on a drive. Listen to some music. You see? I've talked to women, wives before. They're like sexual slaves and they feel like they feel like prostitutes in their own marriages because husbands, they call their wives, oh, I'm, I'm being tempted, wife, so I'm going to be home in 10 minutes and, you know, you got to handle business. And so the wife, instead of being a helper in one regard, you know, she's like a prostitute in her own house. I'm not, you know, you know we've, we've studied marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7 and different aspects. Sex is beautiful within marriage, but hey, men, don't treat your wife like she's a prostitute. We have to understand these things. We have to know these things. What, what is it that can cause you to fall knowing that we have all these lures around us and if we take the bite, if we take the bait and we bite down, boom, Satan is going to yank. You say, whoa, that's too hardcore. 
Look at the church today. Look at the state of the church today. Look at the broken homes. Look at the sex. Look at the drugs. Look at the alcohol. Look at the whatever, the occult. Look at it. And you're telling me that that's too hard. Like I'm too hardcore. Knowing that the threat is very real. We see homes destroyed. Families destroyed. Talk to the kids. Look at the fruit. Talk to the kids. A lot of times where you see messed up kids, you see it even worse in their parents. Messed up parents. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. So, you don't want to shame these people. They shame themselves. They shame the name of the Lord. The proof is in the pudding. And so the command goes forth, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. Remember, Moses was angry. He was angry. Have you kept all the women alive? And this is what they have to do. And in verse 18, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. The young girls, keep them alive. Now, we can look at this in one regard and say, oh, the progeny of Israel, the next generation, the progeny of Israel. This becomes a major problem in the future. Because Israel would overtake a people and in overtaking a people, they would just bring on anybody. Oh, these young girls, let's keep alive, you know, and when they come of age, we're going to do this. And, you know, it's, it's it becomes like a, a, a like a sex, sexual spoil of war. It's a major problem. It be, not, not, not necessarily here, but it becomes a major problem. Now, I'm going to say something about the law. The law has leniencies for men. And I say this to my sisters in Christ. I get it. I understand it. The law has leniencies for men and a lot of it deals of the sexual nature. Divorce permitted, you know, concubines permitted, sexual slaves. And don't forget, when Jesus Christ was asked, why, why did Moses allow the uh, divorce? And the Lord Jesus Christ says, it was added because of the hardness of your hearts. And then he goes back, but it wasn't that way from the beginning. How many wives did Adam have? You see? One. And it was male, female. We have to look pre-law to understand that, you know, why the law was given. The need for blood to atone for sin. And after the fall... The Lord, he covered Adam and Eve with animal skin, which means what? An animal died, blood, life for life. You see, there's a lot of leniencies for men. And the majority of it is in regards to the sexual nature. And it becomes a huge, huge, huge problem down the road. Men who stumble because of women. Now, if you're female and you're wondering, like, why is that? Why? 
why is it like that in the law? Why is it that the guys can do this? Easy divorce becomes a problem. You know, multiple wives, concubines. Well, let me ask you a question for my sisters in Christ. Let me ask you a question. We're new covenant believers. But say, for example, we have a church of 1,000 people. We have a church. We're two. I'm talking with you and with me and you. We're just you and me talking. And we're just two people among 1,000. And the question is posed, how, how come these leniencies are permitted in the law? Well, if a command was given today, all the males who have been compromised, all the males who are compromised, they're Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ. But all the males who are compromised by sex, by pornography, by prostitution, by anything sexual, Kill them all. Do you realize that a fellowship of 1,000 would probably become instantly a fellowship of about 500 and probably three guys? I'm not trying to make excuses. But the Lord Jesus Christ says it was added because of the hardness of the heart. But it was not so from the beginning. You see, how many wives did Adam have? How many wives did Noah have? You see? One. Singular. We have to look before the law. We have to look outside the law because in Christ we are, there is, we're abiding in Christ. That not that the law is over and done with. No, if you're abiding in Christ, then you know the law has a purpose still. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. But we don't abide in the law. Because if righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Now we see this and it's like... I'll give an example later later about how beautiful this becomes. And so we see here in verse 19, let's continue in verse 19. And as for you, now this is, you, you, you look at, uh, at verse 19, it's like, well, wait, is this just for the leaders or is this for everybody? Me personally, I think it's for everybody, not just the leaders. I think it's for everybody. Because when you look at the Hebrew, this tra- I read out of the New King James Version. It says, and as for you, but the as for you isn't in the Hebrew. It, it's more, you know, for you. And it's, it, there's no specific indicator of whether this is the leadership. So because of that, I say this is probably for the 12,001. As for you. Remain outside the camp seven days. You know, this blows me away and I I love this so much. It's so beautiful. Remain outside the camp seven days. So what does that mean? These people, these men of war, they're unclean. Oh, wait a second. I thought you said they were valiant men, beautiful men of the Lord. Yes. But in this state, they are unclean. Why? Why are they unclean? 
whoever has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain. Remember, they just got back from war. Those who are associated with death, it brings about the uncleanness upon them. Remember in our study through Leviticus, contact with a dead body, there's that uncleanness that it brings. And so what do we see here in verse 19? Purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. War war is a result of the fall. Understand that war is a result of the fall. But even still, hearkening to Ecclesiastes, there's a time for every purpose under heaven, including war. But turn with me really quick to Isaiah chapter 2. Really quick to Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up nation. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. You see, neither shall they learn war anymore. If there are any veterans listening, veterans listening, assimilating into civilian life. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Some guys kill themselves because that's how difficult it is. They put a, uh, the nine mil in their mouth and squeeze the trigger. They go to the VA, I need help, I need help. And the VA drugs you up. They give you the cocktails of whatever drug. They say, okay, go to this, ther- go to this therapist. They go to the therapist, the therapist gives more drugs. Now there's zombies walking around. If you're a veteran, there is coming a time. Remember, in this life, there's every purpose under heaven, a time for peace and a time for war. And you have that close association with violence. You were never intended for that. Innocence has been shattered. It's a result of the fall of man. There is coming a time where war will not become a learned thing. War won't even be learned. It will be learned no more. Swords beaten into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Eternal R&R. That only comes in Christ. That only comes through Christ. And this I tell you from experience. Do not be unbelieving, but become believing. You see? Beautiful, beautiful Men who have an association with extreme violence. They come back to the homeland and they can't fit anywhere. 
because they're of a different classification of people. A warrior class in accordance to Adam. And if that's you, learn the ways of Christ. You see? For that second generation. Under the command of a new officer. And his name is Jesus Christ. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's go back to numbers. Numbers. So you have these valiant men, these fighters, the warriors. And they've done a beautiful thing. There's 12, among the six, 600,000, only 12,000. A very small remnant. Few. <laughs> and they come back. Hey, guys, you have to stay outside the camp. What? What happened? You've been associated with death. Remember, the Lord wants life. And life everlasting. Well, if the Lord wants life, why does he call these people to war? That's not a good argument. That's what the mockers say of the last days. If God wants this, why does he do this? If God wants this, why does he do this? Understand that we're on this side of eternity. There's a time for peace, a time for war, every purpose under heaven. You talk to veterans. Go to the VA hospital. The psych ward. Men who have extreme trauma because they've had to kill kids. Not that they desire to kill kids, but what the what what happens is that you have these drug lords who have turf in certain areas, and they'll get the, the a group of kids, ten year olds, and they'll fill them with PCP, some type of drug. So they're like zombies. Like you shoot, you shoot, and they're still like they don't die. Like one bullet won't kill them. And so these kids, they come with their weapons, their RPGs, grenades, they're shooting like crazy. And they use kids because they know the guys don't want to shoot them because they're children. And they get closer, they get closer, and they get closer, they get closer. And then finally, okay, it, I don't want to do this, but I have to. And when these guys come back to the homeland, they're psychologically damaged. Because they've seen death and destruction. And not just death and destruction, but death and destruction upon children. Where the child, you can't just shoot a child because they're drugged up. They're like zombies. They keep coming. So it's not just two bull. I mean, you, they're like, it's a slaughter. That mindset, that it's a result of the fall of man. I don't want to glorify war. I don't want to glorify combat. It's, it's a result of the fall of man. And in the result of the fall of man, we have to adapt. And in this adaptation, we have to understand and navigate through this minefield that is around us. And if that's you, if you're of the warrior class in the ways of Adam, 
Come to Christ. He will give you peace. He will give you rest. He will give you restoration. I promise you. You're not going to find hope in a bottle. You're not going to find hope in a needle. You're not going to find hope, definitely not at the VA. <laughs> hope is in Christ. And he heals. Look at what the Lord says here. In Numbers chapter 31, verse 20, purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. So you see, everything, the, 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 the garments of earthen vessels, everything that's exposed to death and of the self too. Battle-hardened, it's beautiful in one regard. But it also has its drawbacks, being battle-hardened. You don't know what I mean? Ask a veteran's wife. You'll know exactly what I mean. Being battle-hardened has its drawbacks. And even still, the Lord is healing. He has a warrior class. And he heals them. You see? Then Eleazar in verse 21, the priest. Eleazar the priest. So remember, Moses spoke and now it's Eleazar now. He's the high priest. Moses, uh, or then Eleazar the priest said, said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. And so we see here in verse 22, only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything. Remember, this is the priest to the, to the men. Everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire and it shall be clean. You see, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire and it shall be clean. Turn with me really quick to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 6, Brother Peter, inspired of the Spirit, the same Spirit that separated these men of war in numbers, the same Spirit that inspired the words of uh, Paul in our study on Sunday, this same Spirit is inspiring Brother Peter to write this down in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Not seen, you love. That's you and me. That's us. I've never seen Jesus Christ. I know one day I will. But I also know the word became flesh. And I have fallen in love with him through his word. And it's him that I teach. So that you can fall in love with him as well. You see? 
Brother Peter, inspired by the same spirit who calls these men of valor, these men of war, these valiant warriors that we see, the same, the same spirit of the Lord that that cleanses these warrior class. They can't come there. They're outside the camp right now because they have to be clean from their exposure to death. And yet the spirit says this, though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. Remember, faith will have an end because we will see Jesus Christ. What is the end of our faith? The salvation of your souls, he says. This refinement through fire it has new covenant connotations being refined through fire and even last day's implications. Let's go back to Numbers 31. Even last day's implications, understanding that fire will come to the earth again in the last days. Everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire and it shall be clean and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure the fire, you shall put through water and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. You see refinement through fire and water. Be clean. Verse 23 in the middle, be clean. Verse 24 in the middle, be clean. Rightness with God. You see. On this side of eternity, there's a time for peace and a time for war and more. But even through it all, be ye clean. Be we clean. You see? Now the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 25 saying, Count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast. You and Eleazar, the priest and the chief father. So the patriarchs of the congregation, male leadership, male headship, and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war, who went out into battle, and all the congregation. So half for the hundreds of thousands, so this 600,000, uh, 600,000, <laughs> this 600,000 people, 607, well, six, 601 and 730, so I'll round up and say 602,000, of that number of people, 602,000, you shave off the 12,000. And so you have these two groups of people. So now you have these two groups of people, the Israel and then the warrior class. You take of the spoils of war, you cut it in half. And half goes to the warrior class and the other half goes to Israel, everybody else. Those who did not go to war. You see? So now you have this concentration of wealth because it's not divided by 600,000. It's divided, divided by uh, 12,000. So I'm not advocating a prosperity gospel or anything. But I will say this. There are blessings of the Lord. This warrior class. There are blessings of the Lord upon this group of people. There's blessings on the other side. There's blessings for the 600,000 or, you know, you take 602 minus the 12, so 590,000. There's blessings on this, this group of 600,000. I'm not trying to say that there isn't. There certainly is. But you see a high concentration of God's blessing among the smaller few, the warrior class. Just like you see on Paul, on Timothy, and Titus, 
Look at the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, when, when, when in, in, in our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. You see how one person might have the gift of tongues. One person might have the, the gift of, of interpretation, of healings. But then Paul had like a lot. Not, you know, it's one thing for a Christian to have one gift of the Spirit. But Paul had like multiple gifts. And you see these giftings of the Spirit, these giftings, this, this warrior class. There's, you see, the blessings of righteousness. Yes, the blessings of righteousness is for the whole. But of Paul's entourage, it's a little different. Remember, how many times in our study in the book of Acts did you hear us say, Paul's not like the average bear? You see, there was a reason behind it all. Because we get into passages like this and it's like, whoa, this, there's a warrior class in Israel. Not just the regular fighters like before, you know, the fighters that, that uh, were uh, afraid of the Canaanites. Remember, the census was count all those men who were able to go to war. And the second census, able to go to war. But then you have the inclusion of females. Now of this warrior class. You have a greater blessing upon them. I'm not, no prosperity gospel. That's unbiblical. What you see on TV, the money preachers, that's unbiblical. But you do see blessings on obedience. And the blessings of obedience, you might be like, oh, wow, you know, if, if, if like we go back in time, we're in the camp and be like, wow, you know, we're, we're 500,000, 590,000 people and you're going to divide the, the spoils between 590, but they get, you know, they're just divided by 12,000. 12, well, hit the rewind button and look at the choices they made when the women came down the hill and they were like, you know, having their sex. They were the chashab. Doing the sex with the guys, getting the other the guys to, you know, bow down to Baal. This 12,000 that are now reaping the blessings of the spoils of war. They were the ones who didn't do that. They were the ones who made a choice. I'm going to honor the Lord. As for me and my tent, we shall serve the Lord. Yes, I know the majority is having their sex. The majority is bowing the knee to Baal. But as for me and my tent, we shall serve the Lord. You see? And so, verse 28, and levy a tribute or a tax for the Lord. You see, this is a, a different tax treatment on these groups of people. The Israel and then the warrior class, different tax treatment. On the men of war who went out to battle, one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep, take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. So you see, from the men of war, it's given to the Lord as an offering. Remember, our study through Leviticus Nothing mangy, nothing mangy. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the, drawn from the persons, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the cattle, the donkeys and the sheep from all the livestock and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. Now, this is from the congregation now. So from the godly warriors, a 0.2% tax rate. Everyone else, a 2% tax rate. You see, the Kohanim for the warriors and the Levites for everyone else. 
an offering to the Lord. An offering to the Lord. You see, the priesthood was busy about the Lord's business. A lot of blood. A lot of animals, a lot of blood. A lot of cleansing needs to happen in the camp. What about today with the blood of Jesus Christ? A lot of cleansing needs to happen inside the camp. The camp of Christ, not in the ways of Adam, in the ways of Christ. In verse 31, so Moses and Eleazar, the priest, did as the Lord commanded Moses. The booty, this is the enumeration of the plunder now. The booty remaining from the plunder which the men of war had taken was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately. So you see, the uh, now... Of these people, now understand that the 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 accumulate that you see that the wealth accumulation for families, this is like the beginning of it because you're gonna see wealthy families in the Old Testament. Like wealthy families grow, they expand. Be they have these more animals because they have more animals, they're able to produce more. But then you're also gonna see when famine strikes the land, you're gonna see things happen in the Old Testament where famine comes, sickness comes, animals die, and you're gonna see. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. You're gonna see why the Lord does those things, and it is all a result of disobedience. Disobedience. You see, now these servanthood of the women who are servants, this offering, it's not for like, you know, okay, uh, uh, of the women, kill them as an, as an offering to the Lord. No, it's not like that. What would happen is like for the, for the priesthood, they would have servants, not in the, in the tabernacle, they would have servants in their home to tend their lands. So like uh, of these spoils of war, there might be a group of women and of these group of women, they might say, okay, because remember the how land was given out, how we studied that when you have these women who went to Moses and now they were included in the inheritance. We studied that several weeks ago. Well, in this inheritance with the land, now the land needed to be tended to. And so you have a group of females who were of the spoils of war. They go to the priesthood and they serve in the land of the priesthood. Now, the inheritance for the priesthood it wasn't specifically written in the law like like for the 12 tribes of Israel but what you see is a portion for what was given to the to the Lord part of that was land ownership for the priesthood and so through war you're going to start to see wealth accumulation in Israel i mean through other means too but you're going to see how the Lord responds to obedience and disobedience. When the Lord says, okay, I want you guys to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to do this. And when they do it, you're going to see blessings. When they don't do it, you're going to see curses. And what do we see? Just like Brother James tells us. Faith without works. Faith without works. I like to see faith without works as belief without obedience. And what does Brother James say? It's dead. You say, wait a second, how can you say uh, belief without obedience when the Bible says faith without works? Well, look at the example that Brother James gives because he points to Abraham. And when you read the account of Abraham, you know what Abraham does? He does exactly what the Lord says. Yes, he believes. He hears the voice of the Lord. And now he has a choice to make. And he obeys. 
What about us? How does that apply to us? Does that mean I have to sacrifice my kid? No. Because the Lord will, will uh, 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 the Lord will uh, give an offer, will provide an offering of His own, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. You obey. I obey. We make a choice. And yes, there will be times of trespass. You know, we're not like we're still in these earth suits. We're still in these earth suits. Understand that. But does that mean we just give up and say, well, you know, so that grace can abound, let us sin more, let us sin more and more. No, Paul says, don't do that. Don't take advantage of God's grace. But we learn from our mistakes. We learn from our trespasses. And then on top of that, we learn from others too. You can have, just like Aaron, an influencer of Phineas. You know, hey, grandson, you don't want to do that because look, my sons were burned by the fire. Because they offered strange fire. So, you know, Aphinius, don't ever do that. Grandpa could say the same thing to grandbabies. Teenage, teenage kids, you know, oh, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Grandpa can say, no, no, no. Uncle can say, no, 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 you don't want to do that. Because I did that once and look at what it cost me. Let me tell you what it cost me. You see, dad can say the same thing. Hey, son, you don't want to do that. Because I did that and look at what it cost me. Look at these influencers on little Phineas, the next generation of righteousness, the next generation of leadership. So look what we see here. In verse 36, in closing and the half and the half, the portion of those who had not gone out to war was in number 337,500 sheep. This is exactly half. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000 of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500 30, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000 of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. So you see, this is help for the priesthood. It's not like, you know, they sacrifice the females now. No, it's not like that at all. This is help for the priesthood in their homes, their fields, not in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was specifically for the priesthood of the Kohanim and of the Levitical priesthood. But they still need help in the homes and for their lands. And we're at the very infancy right now. But when there's crossover, when, when you see instead of across from Jericho, you see straight up Jericho and you see straight up, you know, Israel and all these lands that are in the area of Judah. Then you're going to understand, you're going to see this expansion, this growth of Israel. In verse 41, so Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's, the Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eleazar the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. And from the children of Israel's half, which Moses separated from the men who fought, now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,000 30,500 donkeys and 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50 drawn from the, from, drawn from man and beast and gave them to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So you see, the Levites had a lot of work to do. The Kohanim had work to do and the Levites had work to do. You see, all about the Lord's business. What's the purpose? For the people to be clean. The people to be clean. Then you're going to see like 
as we progress further in the new in the, in the Old Testament, you're going to see priests. They're just like well, lollygagging. You're going to see Kohanim, Levites. What, what, what do you guys do? You should be in the tabernacle. You should be in the temple. What, what, are, you, what are you doing with this nominal business? And then where you see defilement among the priesthood, you see it spread among the people. And then where you see defilement among the leadership, like the kings, you also see defilement among the people. Headship has responsibility. Leadership has responsibility. You're going to understand why. Understand that the Lord is reactionary. You're going to understand because you have this backdrop of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and almost done with numbers now. Now we're going to have this deeper understanding of why the Lord does what he does. The blessings of obedience, the curses for disobedience as he responds and reacts to people's choices that they make to obey or disobey. And the Lord never changes. The Lord never changes. It's the same for you and me as new covenant believers. The Lord responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. In verse 48, then the officers who were over thousands of the army, the captains of thousands and ca- the captains of thousands and captains to hundreds of hundreds came near to Moses. So the leadership now comes to Moses. And they said to Moses, your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command and not a man of us is missing. You see how beautiful this is? Zero casualties. Zero casualties of this 12,001 men. They go and as in verse 8 says, or verse 7, they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses and they killed all the males. In verse 8, they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Evi, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, Reba, and the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. They come back, casualty report, zero. Zero casualty report. You see? Oh, God is so good. You see? Zero casualties. But yet, they still had to be clean. They come back from war. Zero casualties. Okay, you're outside the camp. The Lord wants you to be clean because you've been exposed to death. Be clean. Therefore, in verse 50, you see their heart of thanks unto the Lord. Their hearts of thanks unto the Lord. These The leadership. Of these valiant fighters. In verse 50. Therefore we have brought an offering to the Lord. What every man found of ornaments of gold. Armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces. To make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. You see as a covering. To be right with God does not exclude thankfulness and thanksgiving unto him. Yes you know we have this. Desire to be right with God. And we come to him with hearts of repentance. But don't forget the heart of thanksgiving unto him. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You're so so giving, Lord. I don't even deserve this. 
unmerited mercy, unmerited grace. Lord, you love me, but look at what I've done. Look how filthy I was. Look at the sex. Look at the drugs. Look at the alcohol. And yet you saved me. And then you read that while we were sinners, God loved you. He sent his son to die on a cross while we were sinners. If you have a mindset, well, yeah, let me let me clean up my life and then I'll get right with the Lord. You have the equation. It's wrong. That's the wrong equation. You come to Christ, and as the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. He cleans his own fish. He'll clean your life. I tell you the truth. You come to Christ, and he'll clean your life. I don't care what. Sex, drugs, prostitution, exposed to war. He'll clean your life. And so we see here in verse 51. So Moses and Eliezer, the priest, received the gold from them. All the fashioned ornaments and all the gold and all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundred of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken spoil Every man for himself. Now, this is Old Testament. Every man for himself. The man of war had taken spoil. But I'll give you the new covenant equation. The new covenant equation for the men of war, like the Paul, like the Pauls and his entourage, like the Timothys, like the Titus, the, uh, 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 the uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. The Phoebes, the Chloe's of this warrior class of the new covenant. The equation is this. Yourself for every man. Yourself for every man. You see, just like Paul says, we're the scum of the earth. We have become the scum of the earth. But it's for you. Church, people say we're crazy, and it's to the Lord, and our obedience to Him, it's for you. You see, as you make these distinctions of worker and field, just like you hear us exhort through our study through First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, for you to make this distinction. As you become in the next generation of righteousness, the field, God's building, and hopefully, prayerfully, the next generation of leadership becoming a worker. Yourself for every man, yourself for every woman, yourself for every boy, yourself for every girl, yourself for every old guy, yourself for every old gal. You see, pouring in, pouring in. New wine from the heavenlies. And because you're new wineskin, the overflowing of that new wine for that next generation of righteousness, that next generation of leadership. 
And Moses and Eleazar the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and hundred and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. You see, this is all in honor of the Lord and thanksgiving unto him. Now, I have something to say to my sisters in Christ. I love you as a brother. Do you remember how we looked at the passage in verse 18? Keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And I said, well, I, we're going to save this for later. I was going to save it for much later, but I'm going <laughs> to. We'll say this now. You read this. And you might feel kind of weird in your heart. Like, you know, how come the guys get to do this? How, I'm not that you desire to do it, but how come the guys get to do The guys get off freely. The guys get up. I'm like that too. I feel that way too. But in the practice of this model, we see something beautiful. Because in the next generation of righteousness, there's a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And this prostitute, she's a prostitute, but she denies her former ways and acknowledges the Lord. And she becomes grafted into the camp of Israel. She marries a guy by the name of Salmon. And they have a son, beautiful, beautiful son by the name of Boaz. Now, intermingled in that time, in that, in that set of time, you have something else among the Moabites. A certain gal by the name of Ruth. And something happens in the course of time where Ruth gets married and her husband dies. She goes along with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Beautiful, beautiful women. Her, her, Naomi says to the two, Naomi's husband died and Naomi's sons died. She says to the wives, hey, go back home. You know, I, I, I can't cover you. I have no male covering and in so doing, I can't cover you. So, you know, go back to your homeland. One goes one way and beautiful Ruth says, no, you're, I'm stuck on you like glue. I'm paraphrasing. But she says, no, I'm stuck on you like glue. And understand, Ruth, a Moabite. A Moabite. Now we see provisions, provisions such as this, like you see here in verse 18, in, in 31, Numbers 31, keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And then you see like, well, wait, how come the guys get to do this? They got the young girls. The young girls are going to grow up. They're going to get married. They can, you know, have sex. Some of these ladies, they're going to be concubines. Some of these ladies are going to do this. Yeah, I get that. I, I don't, there's this kind of abrasiveness about the law that I just don't like. As a new covenant believer, it's just like, man, the men get to do this. The men get to do that. The men get to do that. But let's look at the females. And in the course of time, what happens through this teaching of what happens when a, a Gentile is grafted into the camp, such as the Moabites, which do will become a problem for Israel down the road. And while all that 
mess happens. All that mess, Israel fighting these uh, campaigns against the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Hittites, the Hivites, all these campaigns, which is a result of disobedience, which we'll study more as we get further in the Old Testament. You see this underbelly of something so incredibly beautiful. And so Naomi goes back to her homeland with Ruth. And she tells Ruth, hey, go work in this field, the field of Boaz. Boaz sees Ruth and says, hey, don't work in anybody's field. Stay in my field. Stay in my field. Stay in my field. And you see this beautiful intimacy with Boaz and Ruth. And it's clean. It's pure. It's not, no, no funny business. It's so pure. It's so incredibly pure. This closeness, this friendship develops. One of the most romantic stories in the Bible is found in the book of Ruth. And so Boaz, in fulfilling the law, in, in, in doing the statutes of the law, wanting to get a husband in accordance to the law for Ruth, as a male covering for Ruth. That doesn't happen. And ultimately, it becomes Boaz and Ruth. Married. Second marriage. Second marriage for Ruth because her first husband died. You see? Look, this is the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in, in, in accordance to the flesh. This is that lineage of vessels that the Lord uses. Remember, in Genesis, the seed has to travel. The seed has to travel. And so we look at passages like this in Numbers 31, verse 18, and it's like, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. You read that, and it's like, oh, man, you know, how come the guys get to do this? The guys get to do that. The girls are going to raise up. And these girls are going to be a threat to our marriage. These girls are going to, you know, they're going to be wife number two, wife number three, or husband's going to divorce me and go for this gal. Uh, husband's going to have me and concubine this, concubine that, and all these things. I get it. I, I understand it. But we have to look before the law. Remember that? Those things were implemented because of the hardness of the heart of men. Unbelief, the hardness of heart is unbelief, which isn't good. We have to look before the law. Adam, before the law, Noah. But even still, using this one little verse as a base plate for future chapters, we see included in the lineage of Jesus Christ in accordance to the flesh. In that lineage, you see Rahab the prostitute and Ruth in her second marriage. Now, if you're a female, male too, but even more so if you're female, I have a little homework assignment for you. Read the book of Ruth. Not a lot of chapters. Read the book of Ruth with this understanding that we have, with this base plate that we have in our study through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And it will blow you away. It will blow you away. Just like we looked at last week. It's like, you know, 
When like the patriarchy, how many feminists are like, oh, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. But it's like, wait a second. What if there's a godly dad? What if there's a godly husband? Do you see these statutes? It's like, whoa, this is beautiful. If you have a godly dad and a godly husband, this is very, very beautiful. I'm not advocating the law, but it's very beautiful. And just as we see this in Numbers 31, verse 18, keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. Okay, so they're going to be available for the future generation of men. For men in the future, they're going to be available. And you can look at it in that regard and be like, oh man, that, that, that's kind of a bummer because of, you know, these guys are for, for me. These guys are for me. You know, if you're female, you know. But following this biblical model, look at this subset. Like you see the subset. Well, what if it's a godly dad? What if it's a, a, god, a godly father? What if it's a godly husband? It's beautiful. Same exact thing applies. Well, when done right, when done right, you're going to see this lineage. And for every female listening, I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Read the book of Ruth. That's my homework assignment for you. Read the book of Ruth. It will blow you away. It's the most romantic story. One of the most romantic stories in the Bible. One of the most romantic accounts in the Bible. That's romance. Ruth in her second marriage. Boaz as a redeemer and type of Christ. You see, the better marriage. The better husband, you see. As new covenant believers, we read books like such as the book of Ruth. And it's just like, it's, I don't have no words for it. It's, it's so desirable. I just want to just forget the things of this world, jump into my Bible and just die here. That's, I mean, I can't put it into words. I don't know if there's a, I don't, I don't have a lot of vocabulary. <clears throat> But that's how I feel. That renounce everything in the world and just dive into this book that is set before us, capital B, the Bible, and just abide here for the rest of my life. And if I die, I die in the Lord's timing. You read books such as the book of Ruth, which for every female, that's my homework. I don't want to lord over your faith, your walk. I don't want to lord over anything. But in this regard, I will read the book of Ruth. And it'll blow you away. We're going to see things in the law for my sisters in Christ. We're going to read things in the law. It's like, man, that's such a bummer. That's such a bummer. Now understand, some of these addendums, some of these additives to the law, it's because of the hardness of the heart of men, which is not good for the men. But we have to look before the law and look at examples pre-law. You see, it will help you in your understanding of the New Testament or the Old Testament. It will help you. And it will help you as a new covenant believer, especially if you read the book of Ruth. Men too, read the book of Ruth. But for my beautiful sisters in Christ, read the book of Ruth. That's my, that's my if, I, if, if I can lord over any of you, I'll do it in that regard. Read the book of Ruth.
We're going to end our study here and pick up Lord willing next week in the next chapter, chapter 32. Beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.